On this episode of Let's Talk Wake Tech Travel, I get to interview Yaroslav Popov. He goes by Yaro, and he comes from Ukraine. He comes from a country that's being bombarded daily by the Russians. His family, including his parents and grandparents, are in a nuclear shelter on the far northeastern side of the country, very close to the Russian border. And his wife successfully made it out of Ukraine and is currently living in Germany. Yaro has been here since 2015. He's a former Wake Tech student, so I'm very excited to bring you his story. Okay, this is Jeff Myers from Let's Talk Wake Tech Travel. It's been months and months since I've put out a podcast. Uh, I think it's been over a semester and a half. So I have a few that I'm working on. I'm working on the Argentina trip I did over spring break down at Buenos Aires. And I have a bunch of trips coming up in the summer. And so before I get back to destination specific or interviewing students about travel, I thought it was important that we talk to Yaroslav about his home country and what Comrade Putin is doing to his country of 44 million. Um, It looks like almost half the country is displaced at this point. Uh, Not everybody has fled to Europe. They're hunkering down in bomb shelters and uh, watching their neighbors' homes blow up and businesses blow up and kindergartens and hospitals and train stations where people are trying to escape, all being blown up by the Russians. And the Russians are listening to one person, and that is Comrade Putin, who is the most dangerous, it's evident, uh, most dangerous man on the planet. And uh, his uh, his ambitions go far uh, further than Ukraine. Um, back in the 91, when the Soviet Union collapsed, he said it was one of the worst moments in human history that a um, so that the Soviet Union collapsed. Now remember, the Soviet Union killed over 23 million people for disagreeing with their political outlook. And his idols are people like Lenin and Stalin. And this man, was in the KGB back in 1987 in East Germany when I was a student in East Germany. And he was there to manage, um, you know, the people at the Berlin Wall, shooting people who tried to escape, keeping secrets. And he, um, he's not a good guy. You know, he came into power in the Soviet Union uh, under that Boris Yeltsin Uh, by bombing his own people and setting up a fake terrorist attack in Chechnya. 300 people died. Came out and said that they need somebody to lead the country other than Boris, and he was the man. Uh, He carpet-bombed Syria. He's the one that stopped us from helping the Syrians after 1,500 people died of mustard gas being dropped by uh, the Syrian regime or the Russian regime. I don't know at this point. And he told Obama back at the time, don't even think about coming in and trying to stop us. He's leveled Syria. He leveled Chechnya. He's poisoned lots of people who've run against him. 
And this is a guy who's popular in the United States with a lot of the younger generation. I guess if you get your news from Facebook, that's what you're gonna, that's what you're gonna turn out to be is a, a Putin believer, a, a, a person who wants Putin back in power. Um, not a good guy, not at all. And he's got nuclear bombs, and he's not being careful with the nuclear power plants in Ukraine. I mean, they have eight of them. And they're a lot bigger than Chernobyl. Just takes one of accidentally being bombed uh, to uh, create a situation that was much worse than 1986. But we have a lot of people here that still like Putin. His ambitions are not going to stop at Ukraine. They're going to go and get Georgia and Armenia and Turkmenistan and Pakistan and uh, the Baltic states, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. And I guess the only player here that can intervene is um, China. China's been somewhat neutral, but I'm surprised uh, with all the economic sanctions and they're seeing how Russia has been crippled that they don't, you know, jump in and, uh, you know, try to change his mind. But so far they haven't, at least they haven't pushed it and said this is a great thing that he's doing because China as we all know is going to do the same thing to Taiwan so not good really not good so Yaroslav um, he is a student at Wake Tech or was really interesting guy super calm about everything uh, he's got his parents and grandparents still in Ukraine hiding out in bomb shelters close to the Russian border, real close. His wife is now in Germany, so she made it out. He's here in, um, in Raleigh, came in 2015. And in talking to him, you just uh, cool, calm, and collected. I mean, you can tell that he obviously has concerns and he really is an intelligent guy about this whole situation and politics and history. So he's the guy to hear it from. Um, just uh, uh, as we listen to his interview, for those that have iPods, it'll work real well. You'll hear him clear. Um, but he was a little bit further from the mic, so it's not going to be as clear as what you're hearing from me. So um, turn up the computer, or wear uh, earbuds. They'll, uh, they'll help out with the, with the interview. So I'm going to put Yarov on, Yaroslav, great guy. And, uh, you know, Hopefully the situation with Ukraine calms down quickly. I don't think it is. It's unfortunate. I think they're in for a much longer situation than what people are thinking. And then what happens after that or what does this turn into? Well, we'll see. We'll see. Okay, I am here with Yaro. And um, I wanted to uh, ask, first of all, welcome to uh, the podcast show. Thank you, sir. Very excited to have you here. A lot of news going on with uh, your home country. But before we even talk about Ukraine, uh, tell us a little bit about why you're here and what you do. You're a Wake Tech student or were a Wake Tech student? Yes, I was. Uh, I was Wake Tech student and I finished the accounting major. After that, I had a one-year uh, OPT program. So I worked as a part-time accountant. I got a little bit of the experience and currently I enroll uh, into the computer.
computer design program, I went to the Wake Tech for the second program. Oh, okay. I think it will give me a little bit more opportunity in my life. And you came to Wake Tech in what year? Uh, in 2015. Originally, I came as uh, I was in the United States as a part of the work and travel, uh, work and travel summer program. I worked. It actually was my second uh, program in the United States. My first one was uh, I was in Utah. I worked as a ride operator in 2014. Mm. After that, I went back to Ukraine, uh, studied one more year of um, of uh, chemical engineering in Ukraine, and after that, I came back here and I worked as a lifeguard in Bush Garden, Virginia Williams. Oh, the uh, theme park? Yeah. Oh, wow. How long did you do that? Uh, only three years. Three years? Three months. I'm three sorry, months. Because uh, as a part of the work and travel yeah. program, you're allowed to work in the United States only three months. After that, I after that I find out about College of... Um, I cannot say it right, but it's yeah. a college uh, on the Kitty Hawk, Ambamarle. Um, 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 Oh, oh Albemarle. Yes. Uh, okay. But it's a nice area. Yeah, it's a nice area. But um, I had because I had a friend there, mm -hmm. uh, and we all decided to go there to college. But unfortunately, rent there was very expensive. And one of my other friends told me about Wake Tech, and we transferred from the College of Albemarle to the Wake Tech. Got but it. I actually never attended that college just because. I applied there, I was accepted, um, they proceed, they produce all of my paperwork and after that I transfer it to the Wallen, North Carolina because this place is much more convenient to live and study. What did you, um, what did you find interesting about coming to the United States from Ukraine? Uh, it is a long way, <laughs> to be brutally honest, from Ukraine because you have to, first of all, you have to fly from Kiev to some capitals in Europe. I flew, first time I flew through the Berlin, the sec my second time was through the London and it is actually if you have a United States visa they allow you to stay in London up to the 24 hours between your connection flights. So I had an opportunity to see London mm -hmm. and I was very excited about it. After that uh, we came to Washington DC. And I never been there before. The city was beautiful, uh, but it was very difficult to navigate there. <laughs> and from the airport, we went to the, I believe it's called uh, Central Station for okay. the train. We yeah. took a train to the Williamsburg, Virginia. And it was a nice experience. Yeah. And it, the trains itself much different from Ukrainian one. Really? Yeah. Better or worse? It's more modern. More modern. Okay. In Ukraine, train because in Ukraine trains considered as uh, overnight experience. So yeah. the majority of the we don't have you know like normal seats where you sit in. It's more kind of the beds that you can sleep there. Okay. But here it was more like a bus, and yeah. it was strange experience for me to be brutal honest. Yeah, they're not the most comfortable of the Amtrak's in the United States, but you yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. But the same stuff in Ukraine, we still have a lot of problems with like train infrastructure, stuff like that. Yeah. We, we're far away from the European trains. And your English is great right now. When you came in 2015, you were saying that your English was not... 
Yeah. Very good. Yeah, because first of all, I never had actual actual speaking experience. I never like the United States was like the first country that I actually went where I had to where I had to speak English. Even though I was able to write and read, but my pronunciation was terrible. Like some words were different because I was taught in uh, British uh, British style of English. Right. So it was a bit challenging for me, but I'm used to it. And yeah. I have some friends. Um, they currently move. They are refugees, and they move to the island. And um, the Ireland English is much closer to what we used to study in Ukraine. And it's a difficult language for me to even understand. When I went to yeah. Ireland, the accent is so thick, so I know what you're talking about. Um, and so you get, you came to the United States, you went to Washington first, and then where did you go? Um, we used to live in, uh, in, we used to live in Williamsburg, Virginia, close to the theme park. The housing was provided by the employer. They actually, uh, there is actually a cool place called International Student Village, where mm -hmm. all of the people around the world lives. Yeah. Who, uh, who are working for the bush garden and warfare country so it was a cool experience because for example my roommate was uh, from slovakia another one was from i believe thailand there are some there was some people from georgia russia uh, europe like a great britain italy even french people was there so okay. it was a cool experience from there uh, from there we went we moved here to the north carolina wild Okay, well, I mean, the, you you came to a nice city. Yeah, yeah. To be brutally honest, if I had an opportunity to stay in the United States, I would definitely live in Raleigh, North Carolina, yeah. because there is it is three hour drive from the ocean, three hour yeah. drive from the mountains. Right. You have like nine months of summer. I know. One one month of winter. What else do you need? No, it's it's one of the fastest, if not the fastest growing city in the yeah. country. So yeah. luckily, it is not as expensive as other Syria because uh, for the for example you cannot even compare uh, apartment here in the North Carolina what you can get uh, for the same amount of money as uh, in New York City or right. in the Los Angeles it's like here the yeah uh, but who wants to live in New York City now I don't know <laughs> <laughs> um, okay so uh, I want to talk a little bit about <clears throat> what's going on and Kind of get your take. Um, Ukraine is going on its like 37th day of a Russian invasion. Uh, the news, which I've been watching a lot of it, uh, it looks extremely scary. Um, what what would you say about Ukraine um, as far as the country and the people uh, that you would want Americans to know about your country? Now this is, they know a lot more about Ukraine now than they ever have. Yeah. And uh, they're seeing uh, not only what is and was a beautiful country, but they're really seeing the people and how strong and brave they are. And it's really shocking. I mean, yeah. but what would you tell, what, what, what do you tell Americans about Ukraine as far as maybe a place to visit? What, what, what do you? I think that uh, Ukraine is a different, much different country from from uh, from United States because uh, we have a lot of buildings 
and places that actually more than thousand years old so you can get all of this like you know old vibes and stuff and it is a very interesting place where you can see you can see a like thousand years old church that is standing next to the like i don't know modern apartment building with all of the like european standards living of the standards uh, of living and also uh, Ukraine is not as big as the United States but it's still all our region is different and we have completely different culture from here uh, because um, a lot of stuff like here uh, the majority of the people uh, are Baptist uh, as far as the Christianity and in Ukraine we are Orthodox so like our churches uh, looks differently we have a little bit different uh, we have a little bit different um, traditions and stuff we have different holidays and like um, I glad that people in the United States finally realize that Ukraine is not the same as Russia because for the past four years I would say people were thinking that Ukraine is just a part of the Russia but actually we are independent country and people want to be part of the United Europe not part of the Russia and I think that uh, a lot of people in the United States have an opportunity to visit many different countries and you can compare your lifestyle your traditions and way how the people live in the United States to all to many different countries in the world because people in the United States they does they do not need any kind of the visa or permission you just you can purchase a ticket and go to whatever country you want to while um, people who live in different places we have to apply in the embassy we have to provide reason why they're going there we have to prepare paperwork so there are a lot of different steps that prevent us from traveling around the world but I think that um, people in the United States have to use this opportunity to really see the world and how different it is from the United States. Yeah, and it's uh, <clears throat> it's a really safe place for tourists. It's yeah. also very affordable. Yeah, because uh, because of the conversion rate. Yeah, and uh, prices very very cheap compared to the United States. So basically. I would say like with a thousand dollars you can live there for at least like months or two yeah and it will be more than enough for like uh, you know high top luxury vacation for the week or so yeah and you can get all of the um, you can get all of the, the same almost the same food if you want to you can get traditional food you can get the same food as the United States there are many different varieties and yeah. options to get to and actually it's like just depends what you want to see because we see we have a Carpathian mountains that like very traditional like Ukrainian culture with yeah. all of the like forests forest and like beautiful nature while we still have a lot of like Soviet Union architecture close to the close to the east part of the country if you right. like interested in how the way how city used to be or how people used to like there we still have an opportunity you still have an opportunity to visit different museums factories stuff like that also um, Chernobyl is very popular oh I want to go 
and actually I don't know the prices, but it's like a probably fifty dollars for the like two or for three the, for the day, a day tour. It's not a day tour, they're like couple days. A so couple day tour. Yeah, so basically you go there. I don't know the price exactly, but you go there first day you spend close to the like actual station. They show you like pictures. Yeah, they right. tell you, they are telling you story. After that you go back. Uh, there is a specific hotel for the like tourists. You go yeah. to the hotel, stay there overnight. After that they show you a pretty. Yeah. Uh, it's actual abandoned amusement city. park. It's an abandoned city that has an amusement park right. that never was open and. I believe it's either two day or three day tour because also they tour you through the like small villages and there are a lot of iconic places. Yeah. There is a huge, um, I don't know the in English it will be a, I believe Rainbow Station. It's like a huge top secret uh, Soviet Union antenna facility that's supposed to be used for the detection by, by Chernobyl. Yeah, or at Chernobyl? It's okay. uh, at Chernobyl nuclear station. Basically, it was built because uh, power plant is so yeah. close and it's like actually extremely huge antenna that that has like like military compartments there and this station used to be like supposed to be used for the like detection of the nuclear missile strikes and stuff yeah. like that. And also in Ukraine uh, there is a uh, actual like nuclear warhead museum that you can go into the Soviet Union nuclear facility they will show you the rocket that's supposed to be fired and like all of the like equipment that they have how this command post yeah operates and stuff like that wow. did you do that tour no no okay that something I want to do and then you can go to Lviv and go skiing and yeah. some of those resorts beautiful I didn't realize how pretty that city in the far west was, but all the news, uh, it's gorgeous. It looks nicer than Kiev. Yeah, because in some way uh, Lviv is like a tourist destination. Yeah. It's more like, because throughout the history, it uh, western part of the Ukraine has more like more like European vibes. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. more like, you know, western kind of the city, like older city, like a Prague or like Beautiful, beautiful. While the east part of the country is more like a Soviet Union yeah, style those stuff. Yeah, apartment complexes yeah, and factories. Want, and If you want to see that place. So your, your city in Ukraine, uh, tell us about that. I was born in the city Sumy. It's a northeast part of the country. It's probably hour away from the border. And while I was a child, I... Uh, my grandfather used to own like a small farm. Uh, it was like exactly at the border with the Russia. So we used to go a lot of time to the Russian uh, shop just because it was closer. Yeah. Uh, during my childhood, the border between Ukraine and Russia was like a border between United States and Canada. So like you can go back and forth. You like if you want to stay in Russia, you can just call the immigration and say that hey, I'm Ukrainian, I will be home here. Okay. They will like record you, give you like some kind of the number that you have to like when you come back to Ukraine, you call them one more time. And Got it. Stuff like that. And currently, city city has uh, city is Ukrainian, but like Sumer region uh, has a lot of Russians there. 
mm-hmm. Russian troops, but uh, the Sunni region is known for the guerrilla wars because it's a lot of it has a lot of forest and swamps. So it's like if you don't know what you're doing there, like you have to you will you will have a lot of problems. And currently we have a lot of farmers was who are stealing Russian tanks because they're stuck in forest and swamp and like places where they're not supposed to go. Because during the uh, Second World War, I believe Soviet Union Soviet Union guerrilla wars was sitting there throughout the whole for uh, whole Germany occupied from two s- from uh, 
um, at least your town where you're from, your family is not under constant bombardment. Yes. And, they're, and they haven't thought about going. I know it's far from where they are to go to the Polish border. They're not thinking about that. Yeah, but like my, uh, my wife was able to evacuate to the Europe, but my parents have to stay there because they have to take care for, uh, they have to take care for the, uh, my grandparents who are actually uh, already old and uh, my grandmother is disabled so she has to have uh, care all of the time. Mm -hmm. So and your wife has evacuated? Yes, my wife currently is in Germany. Oh, okay, okay. And are you able to call your parents anytime with the network yeah. being, okay. There are some small problems, maybe, you know, like video stacking time to time or we can lose connection time to time, but like we can communicate and yeah. everything is fine. It's not like, you know, the super great optic fiber connection, right. but we can use it. And I'm glad that I have this opportunity because there are many people, especially uh, many cities, especially in South, in South region of Ukraine that completely out of the internet, no internet, electricity, water and everything. So I'm grateful to the God that the sumer is fine. What do you think is the um, reason that we're seeing all, if not most, of the Ukrainians being so brave? Is that a cultural? Because I don't think I've seen anything like this, even in the past, in history. You, you, I mean, you have grandmothers and teenagers picking up arms. Yeah, the, the main reason why, because we have a hope. Um, in 2014, Ukraine made a choice that it want to be a part of the, of the United Europe. We want, to, uh, we want to have a law, we want to follow the law, we want to have, we want to have a high life, sta uh, life standards and people are fighting for it because actually from the independence in 1991, Ukraine had a lot of problems with the corruption, with the like state-owned factories, with like um, undeveloped democracy, stuff like that. And people actually get tired of, uh, from it. And in 2014, they made the choice and um, they, they are fighting right now for the future because they don't want to be to be viewed as a part of Russia or like they want, don't want to live in dictatorship because in the Soviet Union we had a lot of experience in the dictatorship. We, we were part of the Russian Empire at some point and people know how to live and they don't, people know, uh, the people aware about all of the problems and consequences with this type of the country and they want to they want to live in the independent democratic country and they, they are willing to fight for it because as you all know freedom is not free at some point united states has to fight for had to fight fight for the freedom and all of the countries in europe have to do the same the same time so i heard a lot of opinion that actually this war is actually like our independence the nation is developing right now and the, the nation is developed and we are showing that we are strong and we can encourage the world uh, we can encourage the world to keep the democratic uh, type of government and right. that we want to be part of the developed world what do you need 
What, in your opinion, what do you think Ukraine needs right now the most? Um, I think the biggest uh, issue right now is like a, a military equipment. We need a lot of uh, high-tech military equipment, like a huge pieces of the artillery or like tanks or um, air defense missile because even though we have a brave people and we very thankful for the world that uh, world gives uh, gave us a lot of weapons and ammunition and money but we still lacking capability of getting back our territory right. that was currently uh, that was occupied by the Russian because all of the weapons that were sent to Ukraine the majority of them is like rifles supplies um, anti-tank missiles anti-air missiles but somehow we have to get the land that was occupied back to us so we need some kind of the, all of the all of Ukrainian officials are talking about like heavy ammunition like tanks uh, stuff like that but to be very honest I don't think that 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 West and NATO will be given this kind of the support because uh, the battle for Ukraine for the south for the southern part of Ukraine I believe it started today and everything will be decided in this in the next two to three weeks really I think so because um, Russians already give up on the northern part of right. the Ukraine because they uh, withdrew not all of the troops but majority of the equipment and ammunition they are retracting and also at the same time uh, they are presenting this movement as a success to the people that like we haven't had any kind of the we haven't had any kind of the thoughts for capturing Kiev or like conquering Ukraine right. it was like only uh, the war is only about like Donetsk and Lugansk region so they did something to feed into the Russian propaganda and they they use they use it as a narrative also to help the propaganda in Russia so you think um Zelensky and Putin are going to meet? Um, I'm pretty sure uh, that they're going to meet, uh, but uh, the only way that they will meet is when Ukraine will win, when Putin will not have any other option to, to do, because uh, they were feeding Russian people with the propaganda that like Ukrainians are Nazis and drug addicts and like right. I don't know alcoholics or whatever. So in in Russian television, I just don't see, don't know how they will pre present this narrative at all. So you was talking about like helping war, like destroying Nazi regime and stuff like that. And right now you will be meeting with the like head of the state who's Jewish. Jewish. <laughs> well, I hope you're right. I hope two or three weeks. Um, you know, I've been following it real closely, and the only thing that I saw today, I only got a chance to watch a little bit today, other than the negotiations, they've gone back to Moscow and Kiev to kind of review what they negotiated. But Putin is um, recruiting a lot of people from the Middle East yeah. to come up, and I think it was something like 13,000. Um, you know, 
I just don't think they fight nearly as hard as what we're seeing with the Ukrainians. So I think they're walking into a bloodbath. Yeah, because this in itself that Russia um, had a lot of experience in the kind of the proxy conflicts, if you know what I mean. Yeah. That like you, you are not fighting against like a normal military with like whole command structure who has like a, uh, who has a air force and like tanks and like all of the real world real like normal world weapons they they used to for uh, they have a lot of experience in fighting like uh, with the civilians or like occupying territory in the country that has uh, some political problems or like there is some certain times that they have to use it and but they don't have any actual experience in fighting like with a normal military and we can right. see it from the like Russian tactics that they continue using Soviet Union type of tactics that like everything has to be done by the date there it is very interesting that like all of Ukrainian commander are saying that all of the Russian plans are like perfect they are perfectly drawn they like squares and basically they don't have on hands experience even their military yeah they spend a lot of time in university drawing you know those circles triangles squares these lines how the battalions ba battalions will go around this city that city but the, due to the lack of the experience they tend to forget about ammunition about fuel yeah. about rest about that there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of stuff that there are a lot of stuff that they have to think ahead and uh, it looks like it looks like they had one plan and when the plan failed it took them about two weeks to develop another one so it's like everybody has to report through this bureaucracy to develop new strategy and while this during this time a lot of people are dying fighting like without any without any reasons or like right. It's really, they've lost 15,000, I hear, in the first month, and they lost 15,000 in Afghanistan in nine years. Yeah, yeah. So you guys are really tough. That's really, uh, really amazing. And I was telling you earlier, I really have a feeling, you know, two years ago, a year ago, three months ago, the average American couldn't tell you where Ukraine was or one city. Yeah. Now... Uh, most Americans not only know where it is, but know a lot about it, which is a good thing. Yeah, it's because I think that it's because of the technology, because of the rapid spread of the technology development, is that everybody who has access to the internet uh, can see the same stuff as Ukrainians do. So, like, we're kind of going through this tragic event together as a world. Yeah. That's why it's so shocking for a lot of people. And a lot of students that have TikTok and Instagram, they're getting inundated with footage of live things happening. Yeah. And, you know, I get people asking me before and after class what I think. And so it is getting through to people. And once this is over, um, I don't know what the percentage of GDP was for tourism, but I can tell you after this war, you're going to find a lot of not only the United States, but all around the world going to places like Kiev and Lviv. And and that's the last thing I want to bring up. How do you pronounce the capital of Ukraine? Kiev. 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 Okay. We, on the news, we hear Kiev. Uh, 
and I've been saying Kiev. Uh, basically, it's like Kiev. It's a Russian pronunciation. I don't want to. I don't want the Russian pronunciation. Okay, well, I'll let you say that. I'm going to just call it Kiev for now. <laughs> well, um, Yaro, I certainly. Um, Appreciate you taking the time to talk about this, and it looks like you're holding up great as far as, you know, with what's going on, so that's good. And um, everybody around the country that hears this is, you know, Ukraine, they're on Ukraine's side, I can tell you. So hopefully things will go well, and, uh, you know, we'll probably do a follow-up podcast down the road and kind of okay. see where things are. I hope two or three weeks, that'd be good. Yeah, I think so. That I believe that everything will be decided in the next two to three weeks. Like all of the major like battles are still ahead, but those battles will decide all of the negotiation terms for the Ukraine and Russia. It depends like who will who will be able to keep this city, that city, how 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 the next structure will be planned. But I think that the biggest the biggest part of the world will be, uh, the war will be over like because it's not like russia is ran out of the reserves because from the ukrainian video we can see like police officers from russia who are fighting with the military they took a lot of people from the like north of russia close to the, like japan japan border a lot of people from so-called like uh, the same as the like people republic of donetsk lugansk but there are some republics uh, at the Georgia border uh, that Russia took from the Georgia. They took a lot of peacekeeper from Nagorno Karabakh in the Azerbaijan and Armenia conflict. They were like a peacekeeper yeah. person. Like yeah. all of I just people. saw that last summer when I was in Georgia. Yeah. How about Transnistia right on that Moldovan Ukraine border? That's a place I've always wanted to see. <laughs> Have you been? Have you heard of Transnistria? Yeah, yeah, yeah. we call it Pridnistrovia. Right, we, right. That, I just showed that video in class the other day. Um, just a really interesting place. But I didn't. I haven't heard anything about. Are they hosting Russian troops? Are they joining yeah. in or what? They don't. They cannot join, or they cannot join, or they cannot do anything on there. First of all, the, they don't have anything. That place is very big. They have like a huge. They have a huge pile of Soviet Union uh, ammunition, weaponry, but they don't have a lot of people to find to right. fight with it. I think that that place, uh, that place, supposed to be used when on the south of Odessa, if Russia would go to the like uh, west part of the from the Crimea Peninsula. Yeah, right. They, they went actually to the east to Crimea or to Mariupol and uh, Donetsk and Lugansk okay. regions. But initial plans was going into the both direction at the same time, and the Trans uh, Dnistria region can be used as a like arm depot or like okay. some kind of you know. How far is Odessa from Transnistria? Do you think driving? It's pretty close. Yeah, it's pretty close. It's probably probably hour or so. So, like, if Russian military would try to capture capture Odessa, if they actually will be able to get over the Transnistria, might be useful place as a, like a 
storage facilities yeah. like Iron Depot, but like people in that region, I don't think that they will try to fight with Ukraine. Well, I can tell you when I go to Moldova and Transnistia, I am going to Ukraine. And that's okay. going to be as soon as next summer. Not this summer, but next summer. Um, I, I really, really want to get over there. So, again, uh, Yarrow, I certainly appreciate your time, and we'll follow up with you, okay? Thank you, sir.